Today's gospel continues from last week where we left off the feeding of the 5,000 here in Matthew chapter 14. This will serve as the basis for the sermon today. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. I think it's John's gospel that mentions it could have been two and a half, three miles offshore, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, whose word can still and quiet you? So many different speakers and voices that are in our lives with their messages. Uh, we joke with the kids about commercials. Can you, can you hear how they're trying to get you to buy this? Y you know, you can pay attention to a voice that you really trust, that it's like pure gold when they say something to you. You know they love you, you know they care for you, you know they know a lot about you, and they can, they can, you can really open up yourself to their words. Their words can go deeper than other people's words that just kind of get only skin deep. Or somebody like Stranger Danger, you know, you, you don't have any background or history with them, and you really, you really don't trust them yet, or they've maybe earned your mistrust. So their words, their words don't count. Their words don't have meaning for you. In this series of like trust your gardener, we don't have a silent gardener. We've emphasized how every single week your Jesus opens his mouth and says things to you. And he gives you these gifts of his words that what we've been talking in Ephesians class about the coming chapter of Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. And these words are like armor for me. They, they guard me, just like the biblical metaphors of thinking about God as my rock, thinking about God as my shelter, thinking about my God as a shield and his word as a sword, like all of this weaponry and safety language is there. His words are safe. 
I can be fully exposed to them and they will do me no harm. In fact, his words are like a shield. By your word, you preserve my life, says the psalmist, right? God's words to us are an incredible protection and a guardian around us. And I want to focus on that because that's, that's what we're hearing in our lessons today is how we are guarded by this God. How do we know? How do we know? We're going to know because of what he says, because of what he does, backing up his words. So this is the, this is the great joy that it is to jump into this, this, this section of history and the, the beautiful revealing of God's goodness to us in our daily life as he encourages us to walk on water. At the start of this story, Jesus had to get the disciples away. He protected them in sort of a different way. He pushed them offshore. Did you see that? Right after we heard that they had reached the shore in the middle of the wilderness, and they were like, whoa, look at the thousands of people that are here, and they need food to eat. Remember that from last week? When they showed up that way in the wilderness, there's no food around, and all these people were there, and they spent the day, Jesus spent the day with them, they fed them, everything, everybody's satisfied, they count the 12 baskets, they do like a, a mock a head count of the thousands of people that were gathered um, that day in front of Jesus and were satisfied and had their full. And what happens next? The crowd was dangerous. That crowd just wanted this breadwinner king, right? They, they just cared about the meal. And Jesus said, disciples, you know, we're about to be really popular in a bad way. A bad kind of problem. It's no good for their faith to look for me just for physical things. It's no good for them. No good for them. Let's leave. We need to leave. And he immediately, Jesus put his disciples in the boat and said, go. And he pushed them out into the water. And then Jesus turned and dismissed the crowds and said, go, enough. And he went on to a mountainside to pray. And already we're being clued in on a Jesus who would go to reaffirm himself his identity and his purpose and his place. He could have easily won any popularity contest just by being the breadwinner king and serving everybody's human and earthly needs like a genie in a bottle, right? Jesus could have done that. But instead he went on a mountain and he said, I am the one who has come in your name to suffer for sins and die. I have come to be the sacrifice. I've come to people, teach people the love of God that's in hard stuff. I've come to show people the way that suffering is glorious when it's done in your name. I haven't come here to be praised by people. I've come to glorify you. You praise me, Father, when you say, this is my son whom I love. And that's worth something to me. Jesus reaffirmed himself in the word of God. Did you hear that? In the word of God, that trustworthy, faithful, not going to let him down word. And the disciples, meanwhile, is kind of have like this scene switch and the, the camera pans and you find these <sighs> laboring disciples. out like three. We made it three miles, Lord. We've got a 12-mile lake north to south for the Sea of Galilee. And whatever distance they're crossing, it's about six miles on average wide. So it's probably an eight-mile trip or something like that to row yourself across this lake. And we're told, you know, the Gospel of John is maybe like 
three miles out. We made it three miles, Lord. It's the middle of the night. Jesus doesn't see them until dawn. So we, we fed the 5,000 in the evening. You do this for a couple hours till your rotator cuff is about to fall apart. And then Jesus shows up on the water. So the disciples are in the dark of night, buffeted by wind and waves and getting nowhere, and now they're seeing things. And they're terrified. And they say it's a ghost. And I want you to just pause there with the fact that Matthew actually, actually tells us what they named this object out on the water that looked like a person. They called it a ghost. And that ghost, it was them giving meaning in that moment to something. I mention that because it's like superstition. Superstition, if you see ghosts at night and in the middle of a dangerous place with waves and you're getting nowhere, what do you begin to think? I think somehow a superstition got started that you're going to die soon if you start to see the dead. It's because you're about to be dead. And they were terrified at the thought that this ghost was signaling the end of their life in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And I call that out because that's a word. That's a people word that gets in between the word of God and kind of breaks it up and says, destiny. You give a name to something to help fill in the blanks of the things you, you don't understand or you just recognize this like power. Something has this power in your life, but it's not the guardian. It's not the word, is it? Jesus, I don't live there. We don't do this ghost thing. I don't live by superstition. There's nothing in your life you have to live with question marks. That's why Romans 8 can say, we know that in all things. I am now out of the realm of question marks and into the realm of the word of God. And he can say all things because God promises all things. So Jesus gets away with, from the superstition. What does he say? He says, take courage. Don't be afraid. And what's sandwiched in the middle? It is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. And what's in the middle is it is I. This is the reason you can have courage. This is the reason you don't have to be afraid. The basis and the foundation of what you need to, de to deal with life on a reality level is the fact that it is I. And Jesus is doing his own fish and he's pulling all of the associations you would have in your mind, your discipleship heart, of what it means that that's Jesus. What does it mean that that's Jesus? Can you really stop being afraid? What would drive away your fear about Jesus? Oh, he's our master. He loves us. He's the son of God. We care about him. He cares about us. All these things associated, Jesus is drawing in just by saying, it is I. If I were to say, it is I, and I were trying to rescue you from something that I was not capable of rescuing you from, you wouldn't be comforted. You'd continue to remain in your terror and your fear. But Jesus comes with his word and he says, take courage, don't be afraid, it is I. He ushers in what I should mean to you and what I can mean to you. And the beautiful thing of what happens next 
is that, that eye that is supposed to guard them from that fear and, and dispel anything uncourageous or unbold in that moment. That eye thing is what Peter grabs. And he grabs in this, this impetuous <laughs> and bold and kind of just thinking on his toes, on his feet, kind of Peter that he is. He grabs onto the it is I and he says, Lord, if it's you, you see how he brings? Okay, you invited me to think about who you are, my gardener, my guardian, if it's you. And Peter comes up with a ridiculous idea. <laughs> Tell me to come to you on the water. I love it. He wants to share in this glory and power and might of God that cares so little for wind and wave. If it's you, knowing you, the things that I have about you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he doesn't even say first, like, wait, Lord, can you, can you calm the wind first and kind of make this a little bit safer so I've got, you know, a yellow brick road laid out in front of me to walk to you? And he doesn't say that, does he? The wind is still going. We hear later that the wind died down after Peter and Jesus got back into the boat. Then the wind died down, you know? Uh, so it's, it's still windy. It's still wavy. And... Peter is saying, if it's you, tell me to come. Because wind and wave don't matter. If it's you, it's you. If it's you, it's you. And the second part is not only if it's God, it's God. But tell me. Tell me. Peter didn't make a demand of Jesus that if you are God, I demand that you make me walk on this water. He didn't prescribe for God what God should do. He just offered up this opportunity. He said, you tell me. He didn't say, I tell you, save me and, draw, and jump. Elsie had this wonderful way when she was little of climbing up onto some high place, like a chair or a stool or shelf or something like that. And her little phrase would be, on top the moon. I don't know what she got this, like the cow jumped over the moon book or something like that, but she'd say, on top the moon. And then she'd jump. <laughs> so we would be around friends and suddenly Elsie nearby, on top the moon. And I would get up and I'd be running because they'd be like, where are you going? Well, my daughter's about to jump from something. So I'm going to go <laughs> on top the moon. I'm going to go save my daughter. <laughs> That's code language for I'm getting ready to jump, dad. Come catch me. Jesus, Peter doesn't force this upon Jesus, but he does something so crucial. He says, if you say it, I know you're faithful to your word. I know you have power over wind and wave. And if you say this is your will, your will be done. It will be done. And I will walk if you say it. Who is he that condemns, Paul said? It's God who said it. It's God who's justified. It's God who said not guilty. 
Who's the one who says, you're going to hell? It's God who says, you're going to heaven. Who's gonna overrule the word of God? If you say it, if you say, my power is perfect for you and sufficient in your weakness, right? My grace is there for you. If you say it, every, you hear this? Every word that comes from God is that kind of run with it, go with it, sure thing. Peter is basing his walking on water upon Jesus and Jesus' word. Give me your word and I'm good. Let the wind, let the wave, just give me your word. It's a, it's a super moment for our faith to learn from, which is why Jesus said, come. As he wanted to demonstrate that his will was good, his word was good. Get back to what's trustworthy in your life. Come. I said that every week we're going to have Jesus say something that will challenge you. You almost need to row a boat with me out to the middle of Chatfield Lake just to see what this would be like. Imagine doing something you've never done before and actually climbing that leg over the edge of the boat, but it's, but it's Jesus. But he gave me the word. He said, come. He says, you're forgiven. He says, peace be with you. He says, Lazarus, come out. He says, my kingdom is yours forever. Come. Come. And Peter stepped. And he walked. Because it was Jesus. And it was his word. Not because the wind died down, not because water had turned to solid, but because of Jesus and his word. And as soon as he quit thinking about those things and looked at the waves and was distracted by the wind, he began to sink. And he sank so far, it's so striking. Jesus did not, he didn't treat Peter like a robot, like I will make you walk to me on this water and you will lose your brain, you'll lose your chance, you can't even resist, like whoa, I'm going, look at that, Jesus just lifted me up and he's taking, no, Jesus let Peter exercise his faith, Jesus let Peter look at waves and struggle with doubt, he let him learn and experience, kind of hands on, right, this moment of that important aspect of faith that we all need for our daily lives. He let him see the waves. He let him feel the water and experience this for himself, what it was like to have before you options. I can think about Jesus and his word or I can become afraid and terrified and begin to sink because I'm putting my trust in myself and my ability to do something I can't do. God doesn't say it's up to you to work everything for your good. He promises to do it for you. He gives you his word so you can walk. Jesus doesn't have a bunch of disciples that are sinkers or even swimmers who give life their best shot and get back up again when life knocks you down. Jesus makes a disciple that walks, that walks on water. And if... I was thinking that the first step should have been my shakiest if I were Peter. 
because that's when I'm really doing something the first time. My third or fourth step is not my first or second step, right? But after making a few steps, he begins to sink. Isn't that striking? It's not just his experience. It's his sin. He's struggling with the sin that he has, however many steps he's taken, to doubt the word and the way of God in this world. When did he stop thinking about what Jesus said? He said, come. And it was Jesus. That's all I needed. He said, if it's you and you tell me, it's all he needed. And now it was gone. So it is with us. How many things are vying for your attention so you can worry about them right now? How many things are begging and pleading for you to solve the problem, for you to wrestle with the new normal, for you to be um, inundated with things you cannot control, but it almost has this feeling like you're expected to save the world? How many things just feel like a heavy weight and a week is just never going to be the same? And Jesus says, walk. Jesus says, come. It's a huge difference, my brothers and sisters. We recognize we're always going to have this struggle with our faith, with our littleness. But Jesus helped Peter, and Jesus helps us. Jesus deals with all of our sins like, like doubt. Jesus gives us a word that buttons up every crack and, and threat that could surround us. And he does it in the strength that is his word. He does that in the power that is in his word. He does that in the giving of God that is there in everything and every syllable that he ever says to you. Jesus is right there to save you and to point out to you, this is going to be the struggle of your life. He says to Peter something helpful, you of little faith. He doesn't say, ah, you of little faith and make him feel ashamed and blush, right? He says something helpful to him. That was a little faith moment. If you're teaching somebody, my brother and I were doing this with Caleb the other day, make sure you get your back elbow up when you swing, right? And the coach is kind of like fixing your swing, your swing form or volleyball form or something like that, right? They're giving you tips and advice so you can do something consistently. And Jesus is pointing out to the, you know what that was? That wasn't a little me, oh sorry. I, that was outside of the realm of my power, Peter. You took two steps to the left and you should have stayed on a straight line where I could make things, no. This wasn't about Jesus. This was about Peter's little faith. And he helped Peter recognize, oh, yeah, that was off, wasn't it? I was struggling with sin, and I can call it that. I can call it little faith because I forgot that it was you and it was your word, and my sinful nature led me to all these other things, and I got scared, and I was sinking. I felt that. That was me. I was a sinner there. That was a little faith thing. And he's learning that this is reaffirming for him that the goal of his life was to put that down, put it to death in the name of Jesus, and to walk in the name of the one who says, come. So brothers and sisters, say it. Lord, if it's you, tell me. And then read his word and walk in it. And we together will come to this place of faith in our marvel as disciples of our amazing gardener and guardian. And we will say, truly you are the son of God.
Amen.